So we're going to talk about homeschool today, and also David Brooks, and also Star Wars, because it seems only fair that there are people here that will appreciate at least one of those things. And because the gospel seems like it should be a relatively easy one, but of course it's anything but that. So the boys and I have been reading a little bit about the earliest civilizations in our homeschool history, starting with the communities in Sumer in the Fertile Crescent. It's been interesting to think about how nomadic people began to come together for the first time, start to think about how to live and to work together, to establish and to organize a society, to take care of each other. Since that time over 5,000 years ago, humans have changed and developed and broken and redeveloped our concept of what it means to live together in many different ways. But at least in our country, the last four years, and really around the world, seem to call a lot of this work into question, though the challenges that we face come from decades of degradation. This week, I caught up on David Brooks's long piece in The Atlantic. His piece is titled, America is Having a Moral Convulsion. It's worth a read in its entirety, and I didn't agree with every word of it, but it's a pretty fascinating premise and complicated in its implications. The premise of the piece is that America is facing a crisis of trust. We don't trust our institutions and we don't trust each other. Brooks traces this back to beginning around the time that Peter and I were born. And given that my family comes from good Midwestern roots, I have to say that we held out, statistically speaking it seems, a lot longer in our trust of institutions than did the rest of the nation. But Brooks notes that distrust sows more distrust, and it produces the spiritual state that Emile Durkheim calls anomie, a feeling of being disconnected from society. This anomie, he suggests, is the root of a 73% increase in depression among Americans from 18 to 25 between 2007 and 2018, along with a corresponding increase that's quite alarming in self-harm. Trust is lowest in those groups that are at the greatest disadvantage for obvious reasons. If the system is failing us, if our institutions are failing us, it's failing the groups with the biggest struggles by far the most. Meanwhile, fanaticism, Hannah Arendt warns us, comes from a desire for security. So the fanaticism and the rise of fanaticism that you see comes because people are looking for a security that they don't feel because of this distrust. We psychologically need that sense of security. And if our groups and communities don't have it, people look for it wherever it might be. That's a dangerous proposition. We're still parts of groups and communities, but the, even those groups distrust and demonize other groups. Violence, as we've seen recently, often results. Trust is at an all-time low. Trust in the government, trust in institutions, and trust in our neighbors. So loving our neighbors as ourselves is hard in this environment. And it might especially be hard to be honest with ourselves, at least speaking for myself, in this kind of a social structure. After reading this article, I've not been able to stop thinking about it and about the work that has to be done to repair our nation and really our world, and how this work is urgent and how we all have to be a part of it. 
I was reminded in thinking about this of the more modern understanding of the Jewish mandate of tikkun olam, or repair of the world. In its original sense, it just meant doing right. But more modern interpretations have suggested the obligation to take care not only of oneself, but of actually repairing the community and the society as a whole. So where does all the work start? For us, it starts with the first great commandments, and both have their challenges. The second flows from the first. Loving our neighbor and by extension our God, or loving our God and by extension our neighbor, seems in an age of distrust a pretty good place to focus. So what is a neighbor? The Gospels never seem to focus on how the disciples helped each other out, how they brought a meal over when somebody's wife was sick or repaired a set of fishing nets that somebody couldn't quite get to, because this is the easy good work of friendship. Jesus, throughout the Gospels, challenges all the norms of what a neighbor might be. The neighbor is the Samaritan more than once, an example of a group that the Jews despised and in fact considered to be unclean. The Samaritan is the one that stops to help the man who's beaten by robbers when no one else would. The neighbor is the woman at the well who is another Samaritan, this group of people that Jesus would not have had reason to associate with as a Jew and in fact never would have drunk from, never would have spoken to even as a woman. So the neighbor is not the person that you most enjoy having over every weekend, or at least not only that person, that's the easy part. This last week, one of the gifts of having two boys is that we watched the ninth in the Star Wars series. We have now watched nine Star Wars movies, and I believe that we are done. No. Oh, we're not done. No, there's more than one. There might be. Apparently, there are more. We watched Return of the Jedi twice. Okay. So striking in this movie in particular was Ray, who should have been in the grip factor for sure. But at one point in the movie, Ray and her companions fall into an underground chamber through this gravelly sand where there is no escape and they find the bones of the person that preceded them there. And she faces a serpent along with her friends. And it's not just a serpent, it's a gigantic, huge snake like a dragon. It's hideous and it's almost certainly going to kill them. And everyone else is ready to fire with their various space age devices. But Ray notices that it's injured, and she steps towards it instead. And she uses her power to heal the serpent, which then moves away and reveals the exit to the chamber. She understood that her work was not just for her friends and the people that she liked and the people that she wanted to fly spaceships with, but even for those who seemed to wish to do her ill. She does the same even more notably later in the movie, facing her nemesis, Kylo Ren, who seems like he's about to take down the entire galaxy. After wounding him mortally, instead of watching him die, she uses her power to heal him. And her mercy is what finally turns his heart. So what does this have to do with the great commandment? Ray understands that her neighbor is something much bigger than what even her friends might understand. She understands that the work of loving her neighbor is doing uncomfortable work with people that she might not like and with things that might not like her back. So who are our Samaritans? 
Sandra has found a wonderful version of the prayers for the people for this election season, which I think she's going to share for, uh, with us later in the service. And it seems to me that our politics is maybe the place where our differences and our feelings towards each other are shown to be the ugliest. I've seen just as ugly feelings expressed on both sides, while both sides, I think, think that the other side is worse. The Episcopal tradition tends to be pretty inclusive, which is one of the reasons that we like it so much and have been drawn to it. So I wonder if our Samaritans are the people who are voting a different way in ways that we can't understand. Maybe our Samaritans and our neighbors are people who seem to be making really bad life choices when we're comfortable that our choices are right because we've had the benefit of growing up knowing what's right and what's wrong, or at least thinking that we do. It isn't hard to go into what love your neighbor as yourself actually means, but it seems hard to me at least to hold myself accountable for what that really means. The last several weeks of the gospel have been hard. They haven't been really fun to talk about. This one seems to be an easy one, but I think in thinking that it's easy is where exactly we can trip up. The question that this scripture has for me is how loving our neighbor can work to repair this broken trust and this broken world. And that commandment and the necessity right now is one of urgency and potentially one of the survival of our world as we know it and our country as we know it. If we think we have an easy answer, I'm guessing it's probably the wrong one because the answer with Jesus is never easy. It's not good enough to be comfortable in our own groups and with our own friends. Doing good is certainly a start, but relationship is the key. And as we read the New Testament in advance of the gospel with the Thessalonian, from Thessalonians today, I thought that was a pretty good reminder. We were gentle among you like a nurse tenderly caring for her own children. And we shared not only the gospel, but our own selves because you have become dear to us. I think in Star Wars, Ray showed that with Kylo Ren against all of the odds. Doing good is certainly a start. Peter and I talked today about the various ways that corporations can support people doing good and how we can go on mission trips and doing good things is certainly a start, but relationship is the key. Brooks says that we can only rebuild trust by joining and sticking with organizations and that social trust is built within the nitty gritty work of organizational life. We thought how much this fellowship is partly an example of that. And our question for the gospel today and for the work of the world is how we take that work of this fellowship and bring it out to our neighbors, whoever they might be.